nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Live from Qatar, this is The Breakfast Show with Dorian Brown. It's the final countdown. The end is nigh. The eagle has almost landed. And I thank you very much for joining me on the Friday Breakfast Show, the start to the end of your week and indeed your term. I'm Dorian Brown. It's the last Friday of 2021 and we are live from the Teachers Talk Radio layer. Stoked to be joined by Mr. Podcast today, the one and only Phil Naylor, as we give you a little peek behind the curtain of Edu Podcasting World. Let's talk this out. Live from Qatar. This is The Breakfast Show with Dorian Brown on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. We can touch that finishing line, people. Well done for getting this far and once more into the breach and all of that. Thank you very much to my little elves this morning helping me with some audio clips in there. And there may be one or two more to look out for. So watch this space. Or should should that be listened to this space? Hmm. Anyway, imaginary co-host today, Susie Dent. Uh, We're going a little bit off piece today as it's the festive season. uh, And Susie has identified some words which have their hearts on their sleeves. So there's a little list of them here we go so it's secretary which means a keeper of secrets wardrobe to guard ward our robes a freelancer a knight free to use his lance for payment holiday a holy day alphabet the letters alpha beta disease lack of ease and duck a bird that ducks underwater there you go so a nice comprehensive list of words from Susie there which literally have their hearts on their sleeves. Today, folks, we're going to dive straight on into the show as I'm joined today by the one and only Phil Naylor, who I am told does indeed like a good natter. So uh, without further ado, well, in fact, we will have a little bit of a do first. We're going to start off with Steve Woods's two minute tech tips, the last one for the year, and then we will get cracking with the interview. So meet Phil and I, the other side of this. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. This week we're going to look at one of the simplest, freely available, yet least used browser technologies, the Reader View. Chrome versus Edge, let the battle commence. On screen one, I have Microsoft Edge, weighing in at the cost of zero pounds. On screen two, I have Google Chrome, also weighing in at the cost of zero pounds. Round one, opening Reader View. On the Edge browser, the immersive reader feature is built in and can be activated by a button on the address bar, by typing read followed by a colon in front of a URL, and also you can simply press F9. Before you can open Reader View in Chrome, you have to install it as an extension. It's free and not difficult. Once installed, you'll find it in extensions located to the right of the address bar. One point to Immersive Reader. Round two, features. Both come out fighting with the read aloud feature that allows the user to adjust the read speed, skip forward and back, and change the voice that is reading. They both also highlight the word being read. Chrome Reader has a volume control, which is a nice touch if not using headphones. One point, Chrome Reader. Round three, readability. A big feature for reader views is the ability to change the formatting to suit the user. Both allow easy changing of font size, font, and text width on the screen. 
but they differ in background colour features. Here is where Immersive Reader offers quite a bit more. Chrome Reader offers 8 background slash contrast colours, 4 light and 4 dark. Immersive Reader provides 23 background options, green, pink, yellow and blue included, allowing pupils with visual needs to find a comfortable colour. One point, Immersive Reader. Round 4, Editing. Chrome Reader features a design mode. This allows you to highlight text and make changes. Quite useful if wanting to pick out key points to return to. Immersive Reader does not have this feature. One point Chrome Reader. Round five, extra features. Immersive Reader has a grammar feature, allowing words to be split into syllables. You can highlight nouns, verbs, adjectives, and adverbs by flicking switches. This feature is not offered on Chrome Reader. One point Immersive Reader. Immersive Reader also offers reading preferences, featuring line focus of five, three, or one line, blocking out the rest of the page. There's a picture dictionary, allowing some words to change the pointer to a magic wand that reveals a picture depicting it. Also, there's a translation feature allowing partial or full translation of a page into 88 different languages at the click of a button. Chrome Reader does not offer these features, however, other free products such as Google Translate could be used. Immersive Reader takes the point because you don't need to leave the page. Final score! Winning with 4 points to 2 after a blistering final round is Microsoft Immersive Reader, but let's face it, most people don't know these things exist. If you were one of them, please do something about it. See if these features are installed in your school, and if not, request they are. For a visual version of this episode, check out the TT Radio 2021 Twitter feed. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Live from Qatar, this is The Breakfast Show with Dorian Brown. Thank you so much for joining me on Teachers Talk Radio today, Phil. Thank you for having me, Dorian. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Fantastic, absolutely. So in the intro there, I talked about uh, the fact that uh, Naylor's Natter has uh, been the soundtrack to uh, many a, a long distance ride and stuff during the uh, during the lockdown and beforehand. Um, and we're hopefully going to kind of unpack it a little bit more and just know a little bit more about where the idea came about um, and any sort of future plans for the podcast. But I wonder if before you did that, if you'd be able to give us and our listeners here at Teachers Talk Radio a brief introduction to yourself and your journey in education. Absolutely. Well, um, slightly unusual journey, I think. It's amazing now to think that people, you know, associate me with education, which obviously, you know, after 20 years of being a teacher, you'd hope they would. But originally, as you may know, Dorian, because obviously I mentioned this uh, frequently on the podcast, that I was actually a football coach first. Uh, people looking at me now will find that extremely hard to believe. But I did uh, I did work in football for quite a few football clubs first, uh, full-time. I worked at um, Wigan Athletic. I worked at uh, all sorts of other Blackburn, Burnley, Wigan again, all sorts. I did my air licence, Dorian, never mention it. Never mentioned that I was on my air licence <laughs> with Roy, Roy Keane. Yeah, I never, I never, never no, talked the, about a it. Scoop. Never We've ever. got a scoop here on Teachers Talk Radio. <laughs> So it was one of those where I would kind of go to football train at night in, in a suit and people would say, you know, have you been in court, et cetera, et cetera. Then I go into a school in a tracksuit and people say, you know, what, what are you dressed as? So I did the kind of the two roles kind of hand in hand for a while. And, and as you know, um, in terms of, you know, family and children and all of that kind of thing, it became more and more difficult to do both. And it was kind of a choice. I remember one Saturday morning taking Blackburn Rovers reserves. I say taking Blackburn Rovers reserves. I was doing like, you know, the, the balls, bibs and cones man uh, job. Very important job. Very important job. Very important job. <laughs> and it was one of those life decisions of, right, well, which way do you go? Do you carry on with this? Potentially you can go into football or do you kind of carry on with it with the education side of things? And uh, I think it was seen as a more kind of safe and, and more reliable approach to keep going with the education. And in terms of the journey through education, so obviously, you know, a classroom teacher, 
Uh, I've been second in, second in science, my first kind of promotion into some sort of leadership in, in, in the science department. Mm. I then did head of year for years, and, and that's kind of my background going into the pastoral side of things. You know, I was head mm. of year for, for, for many years. Um, I did that for, you know, year seven, year 11. Kind of the, the bookend years was kind of the, the kind of the ones that I did. Mm. But assistant head, I got to assistant head at the, at the uh, young age of 30 and then managed to stay assistant head for 10 years. And before wow. finally someone took a chance and finally got a promotion into to being deputy head, which is what I'm doing now. So I've been a deputy head uh, in a school in Blackpool for the last two years. Fantastic. So a, a transfer into the into uh, deputy headship after uh, being a bit of a journeyman before for a number of different clubs and uh, and, and schools and departments. Fantastic. Um, and and it's interesting you say actually being assistant head for ten years because I, I I've sort of read recently that you know in terms of like the, the desirable jobs out there at the moment assistant head seems to be one of those ones that does get an awful amount of applications uh, mostly internally but it's ones like sort of head of department tend to get the, the fewest uh, and assistant head seems to get, get a lot why do you think that is well i think you're thinking right i think it's a really good job to have in the sense that you're still very much in touch with what's going on in the school so if you're an mm. assistant head who's still teaching at a considerable timetable and i was at the time so I was teaching a couple of GCSE classes, a couple of key stage three classes. You've got that kind of window into what it's like for the classroom teacher, but you've also got that kind of foot in the door with what it's like to be around the leadership table. So mm. you know what kind of decisions are being made and you know how those are affecting the school, but you also know how those are affecting the teachers in the classroom, because like I said, you are very much there, aren't you? Mm. Um, which, you know, I mean, that's something I've reflected on recently. I've not been in the classroom as much as I would like to be in the classroom. Mm. And I've gone back into the classroom and already, you know, someone like myself, who's kind of overseeing behavior and the pastoral side of things. It's nice to see what it's like to teach within your own behavior policy. Yes. You know, things like that. So assistant heads have got kind of all those different roles and it's quite an enjoyable role, isn't it? And it's definitely a role that, like you said, it attracts a lot of people to want to do that, whether it's primary or secondary. I love that, yeah, and because it, it's exactly that. It's a foot in both camps, almost, isn't it? And and you need to kind of see the efficacy. You need to see the 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 things that you are contributing towards on a kind of a strategic level. You need to see them kind of being a, a, a applied and, and being able to evaluate the success of them, sort of on the on, on the front line, as it were. So actually, it's a really kind of um, it's a it's a vital um, role to have that sort of Janus facing uh, position mm. uh, in, in that particular area. Um, fantastic. Uh, so uh, so. You, I'll just piggyback off of what you just said there as well. So you're in your second second year of deputy headship now. Yeah. How, how you how does that compare? How are you finding that? Well, I mean, as anybody who's been promoted to um, a, a senior leadership uh, role will have found in the last two years, it's been quite the two years to be put into that <laughs> role. So I mean, in terms of what's the difference is, well, the whole world's changed, hasn't it, Dorian? You know, that the world is not the same as, as, when it, yes. as the one you have necessarily promoted into. So I was kind of expecting a lot of changes um, in terms of that, you know, extra responsibility of deputy headship, but I wasn't expecting a pandemic. I wasn't expecting lockdowns. I wasn't expecting all of that. So in terms of the nature of the role that I'm doing now, so I'm doing personal development, behavior, welfare, and the DSL as well. So mm. I've kind of been in along with a lot of other colleagues all the way through. You know, I've not I've not um, necessarily worked from home because, you know, obviously the, the the students that we would naturally be working with have been the students that have been on site. So I've kind of been in during the various different lockdowns, the periods of partial closure, and it, it's been very different, hasn't it? You know, I've not really until probably this September had a full school and yes. had that role as in, you know, after that two years, it's probably only been three or four months that you've really had the chance to do that. I mean, we might get into this later on, what it has done as somebody who's working on behavior and kind of um, the whole school development of that, 
you've been able to accelerate a lot of changes that maybe you wouldn't have been able to do under normal circumstances. You've been able to make lots of changes through necessity, but also it's been a lot of things that through COVID we've kind of kept that we wouldn't necessarily have done previously. So it's been very, very interesting. It's been, you know, I mean, obviously it's been difficult, but it's also been hugely rewarding and you've been able to make a lot of, like I said, changes that you wouldn't necessarily have been able to do, I suppose, under normal circumstances. Oh, absolutely. And and I think that's an, a, a very important point to make in the way that, uh, that there wasn't, there hasn't been a playbook, you know, this hasn't happened before um, per se. So there hasn't been something that we can look back on and, uh, and refer to and say, well, last time this happened, this happened, this happened. Um, so it has been, you know, many schools, many leadership teams, et cetera, have been, you know, blindfolded almost in kind of navigating their way through that. Cause there are certain things that leadership teams are in control of and many, many things that they are not in control of. So obviously, you know, it almost felt, felt like in my school, every, every week was a different direction or every week was a different, you know, a curveball comes in and you're having to react to it. You know, you teachers, I think are kind of quite notorious for wanting to be well organized and well prepared and not kind of, um, you know, that fear, the anxiety that comes with uncertainty, um, which is exactly what I think the pandemic brought. And obviously it's, uh, it's, it adds that challenge, but I love how you've kind of twisted that in a way and kind of said, well, it has also at the same time been enabled us to kind of, uh, streamline things. Yes. Uh, fewer things in greater depth. Um, but also, um, I'm not sure of your uh, experience of this, certainly what I've noticed since going back to school is that so some of the younger years that have perhaps had their, um, so I'm talking secondary here, but the, have had maybe a bit of an interrupted kind of last couple of years, the, the low level disruption seems to be uh, a lot more prevalent than it was before um and is that you know that's as a result perhaps maybe of not having normal schooling for the last couple of years um and so it underlines the importance i think of there needing to be this um this routine and this culture and this understanding so that we can kind of catch up very quickly is that the sort of thing that you were referring to in terms of getting things going yeah, and I mean, you said before about what's the difference between maybe assistant head and deputy head. You know, you're writing the policies, you're making the, the huge changes. And, you know, that was one of the things that, you know, anybody who's going to that position will be a little bit, you know, apprehensive about. But because of all the decisions that you've had to make, because of all the things and policies that you've had to change, you've kind of had to get used to making large, you know, wholesale policy decisions that have had a, obviously a big impact. And you talk about behavior, you know, we, we've done a lot around sort of, the culture of behavior, we've done a lot around norms and routines, but, you know, I might come to this later on. You know, I'm one of the few people on Twitter, he says, hopefully, that is still regularly tweeted by Tom Bennett and Paul Dix, you know, and are not, as at the time of uh, of pointing this out, not blocked by either. So, you know, I've got kind of the best of both worlds in terms of those approaches. So hmm. we've done a lot around that routines. We've done a lot around systems, structures, organization, but we've done a lot around, around relationships as well. And one of our assistant heads, who I'll give a shout out to, to here, so Andy Monk, mm. who may well be listening, Dorian, may well be listening to this. <laughs> he's done a lot. He had the kind of the remit of coming in and, and flipping the narrative around behavior. So he's done a lot on what he's called praise and recognition, but praise and recognition of students that are going above and beyond and doing things that, you know, are not just the expected norms of what you would do. And honestly, the transformation that we've seen in terms of realizing that 97% and we've got stats for this, you know, 97% of students are making good decisions day in, day out, and they need to be rewarded for that. So in terms of the work that he's done, it's made a huge difference. So I'm not, I forgot what your question was now, because I've waffled <laughs> and meandered around to that, but yeah. um, you know, we have, we have seen, you know, a lot of the things that we did do as, as a result of COVID actually being positives and continuing those on. 
Yeah, and I think that's what it was. It was, it was the question was more about kind of what you said in terms of you given this ability to, to to implement things. And I don't want to say the word experiment, but I mean from what you're saying there, you're kind of yeah. drawing on a, 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 you're drawing on um, different parts of evidence, different bits of ex, of experience of different people, etc., and trying to kind of um, craft your own policies, um, taking on board the the information that is out there. And and I think that's important because every school has their own context, their own environment, their own culture. Etc. And so there isn't this silver bullet, this kind of one size fits all approach to behaviour and relationship relationships, etc. And and I think it's remiss of of any leadership team really to not see what else is going on elsewhere and try to uh, feed that into theirs, but not necessarily you know command C command V um, uh, a policy from somewhere, right? So um, so yeah, oh fantastic. Listen, we've sort of dawdled a little bit there because we want to. I, I really want to get uh, under the hood of the uh, the Nailers Natter podcast and the story behind it. So um, if we can go uh, switch now to Nailers Natter the podcast, and yeah, could you give us a little bit of a, a an intro, I guess, to what it is and and how it all came about. Certainly. Well, I mean, I'm going back sort of two to three years, aren't we now, Dorian? So it's a different incarnation, a different role that I had at the time. Um, I was lucky enough to be seconded out of, of the school I was at, at the time to do kind of three days out doing work with Teach Development Trust, but also doing work with uh, the research schools. So Blackpool had a research school and myself and Simon Cox were running the research school, giving ourselves lofty titles of director and assistant director. No one gave us those titles. We just made them up, Dorian, because we saw it in Alex Quigley's door once and thought, well, that looks good. We'll copy that. Anyway, we decided that we, we were going to get involved in, in, in the movement and we were going to do a lot of kind of work around promoting you know, research-based practice. And one of those things was to be hosting the Research Head Conference. So Blackpool hadn't necessarily um, been involved in doing that beforehand. We were very lucky that the head teacher at the time um, was Stephen Tierney, who's you know extremely big uh, on Twitter. I'm sure a leading learner got a new mm-hmm. book coming out soon. I'm not on commission, listeners, um, <laughs> but you know I'm sure that you'd want to read that as well. So just Stephen's in time for Christmas. Just well, yes, exactly. A Stephen Tierney, a stocking filler, is what everybody wants on their <laughs> Christmas list. Let me tell you, and they, they are great books. And you know, again, shameless plug for our own podcast. Stephen's been on a few times. Anyway, the reason we're mentioning that is because we decided that we needed to promote the event. You know, uh, when we put the tickets out immediately, I think, you know, we had about six tickets sold after about four weeks. And Simon and I are looking at each other like Smith and Jones across two very small desks in a cupboard in Blackpool and going, what are we going to do? We need to publicize this a bit more. We need to get our names out there a little bit more. What about a podcast? Because, you know, podcasts now are pretty big, aren't they? Lots of people have got mm-hmm. lots of podcasts for various different things, but it wasn't necessarily something that I'd heard of too much, apart from uh, Mr. Barton Math, which we'll come to later on. Mm. So we said, right, well, we'll put a podcast out there. Let's call it the Blackpool Research School podcast. Uh, Stephen uh, and Simon, but this is how I remember it anyway, uh, whether they'd like to disagree. Uh, they said, no, we don't want to put it out there and call it the Blackpool Research uh, Podcast in case it's rubbish because we don't want our names associated with something that's not very good. I said, all right, okay. So fair enough. I said, well, well, you know, I'll come up with a name. And uh, talking to, uh, as Dorian and I have just been off air, you know, his kids have been in singing the jingle. Yeah. My kids were involved in the creative process of coming up with the name. So Nailers Natter seemed to sound, sound quite a, a catchy name for it. Get some alliteration in there. Always works. Yeah. We called it Nailers Natter because we thought it would be one. We thought we'd do one. It had sync without trace and nobody bothered with it. So why would we need to call it Nailers Natters? It wasn't ever meant to be something that would continue any more than one. Anyway, it was a slow starter, but it got going. It got a little bit of traction. Mm. 
primarily from the jingle, um, probably. <laughs> Although those of you who go back to the early edition didn't have the jingle on the early no, edition. So no. it wasn't necessarily just that. And we decided that we'd keep going with it. And the more it went, the more people seemed to like it, the more people wanted to get on as guests. And because we had that kind of captive audience of, of people that wanted to come on the podcast because they were promoting their slot at the research head, we had mm. a few guests. And again, that traction, people started singing the jingle at me down the corridors. You got that friendly, <laughs> I want to say banter, but I think it was more ridicule. <laughs> and it kind of got going from, from there. So yeah, that, that was the kind of origins of it. And, you know, when it got to the peak of, of where it got to when I was doing it every single week, mm. you know, we, we had, I don't want to get into numbers. We had a lot of, a lot of listeners, let's put it that way. And yes. uh, I'm sure that it was something that, that research, um, research school Blackpool would have liked to be involved in, but too late, Simon Cox, too late. <laughs> well, it's interesting that you've, that you said that at the beginning, that they didn't want to put their name to it just in case it went so bad, but you had the confidence to put your own surname into it. So well, when, when I, <laughs> there, I mean, I was in, I was involved in that as well. I mean, we didn't right. want to damage a brand that didn't have much reputation. That's but you were happy to fall on your own sword. if. Uh, well, if exactly. Be. Because I don't, I don't, I don't have any brand, do I? So it didn't necessarily matter. So I thought, well, you know, what harm oh. can it do? Well, fantastic. Well, let's let's uh, let's have a look at a little look at the mechanics a little, a little bit more of the podcast, and perhaps maybe this might be some form of answer as to why it did get so much traction and why why it was so successful. Because you're right, there was you know it hasn't you certainly wasn't the very first educational podcast, but I have to say, sort of around the time, as I said, we're talking about beginning of 2019. I think I don't think there were many. Um, high profile ones, if you like, or ones which had lots of lots of traction at that time. Certainly other kind of um, podcasts in different fields and different areas there were. But in terms of the, the long format of yours, there were there, it was pretty much one of only a very few at the time. So could you let, let listeners know for the for the few that obviously haven't heard an episode of, of Nailers Natter, could you let us know how you came about coming up with the idea of the format and what made you kind of option uh, sort of opt for that um for that longer rather than the short, short, sharp, punchy type podcast? Yeah, it's a good question, Dorian. And I mean the, the reason was we this is actually quite a conscious decision after a couple of episodes. So I'm only joking about uh, Simon Cox, by the way. He's a huge supporter <laughs> of the podcast and, and has, has been a guest and a co-presenter on loads of those. And in fact, he's going to be on one this week with me. And we're doing one with with Sam Sims about the new uh, EF's professional development guide. So, you know, only joking, Sam. But we did consciously look at the um the kind of format and we we're, we're both massive fans of Craig Barton, and Craig had been out, out and done. Um, podcasts for previous research head conferences and things like that. And we thought, mm. you know, we really enjoyed his format, but his format was very much, he's interrogating his guest and he's offering his opinion as a counterbalance and an argument with the guests. So there's some great episodes that you can go back to and listen to those. Mm. But we felt as if, well, if you're listening to a professional development podcast, you probably want more of the guest and less of the presenter um, which is why it's strange for me, Dorian, being on the other side of this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, we tend to have script, scripted questions. We mm. don't tend to have too much by way of follow-up, although if things are pertinent or related to what kind of things we're talking about, obviously we will. But it, it allows us to interview people on all different sides of education. Mm. I'm not like pigeonholing myself into one particular opinion. Yes. And I think people know what some of my opinions may or may not be, although they become quite you know flexible over time. And working in different contexts has made those, you know, those opinions have had to change slightly as well. Mm. So it was like, you know, I can interview anybody. Like I've said examples before there, you know, you can go from Paul Dix one week to Tom Bennett the next week, and it's a seamless transition. You can go from somebody like Professor Michael Young or E.D. Hirsch talking about powerful knowledge to talking to somebody about well-being. 
You know, it gives you that flexibility to be able to talk to people about very, very different things on all sorts of the argument, all sides of the argument and be polite, be respectful and not, you know, come on and argue with somebody about whatever it is that they might be talking about. So the long format is me reading their work, reading their blogs, reading their output, listening to whatever things that they've done, consciously crafting questions in the way that obviously you've done for this as well. And actually thinking, right, what does the listener want to get from this? And it's always been from the viewpoint of the listener. Because like you, you know, you said it's been the soundtrack to your lockdown, which is which is, you know, strange for me to think about <laughs> anybody listening to the podcast. But there you go. But but the same for me. You know, I've listened to a lot of podcasts. You talked about Darren Leslie. I've listened to a lot of Darren's, you know, in the gym in the morning. Um, I need to get to the gym more in the mornings, but I have listened to a lot of down to listen to a lot of yours. I've listened to a lot of the output that people have put out there as well. So, you know, in terms of a format, I think we've got something that makes us slightly different to other people, but it puts the listener at the heart of it. And it says, right, what do we want to get from this person? What do we want to know from the expert? We don't need to know too much from uh, that presenter necessarily. I love I love that uh, I love that Phil that's great and it's it's nice also to have that little kind of peek behind the curtain I think in terms of like the world of podcasting because I don't know sometimes people may assume that we just kind of turn up just get someone on the other end of the line and then just throw a few questions at them but yeah there is that extra absolute I mean you said there you 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 look at their output you look at the blogs you look at the the articles the writing the things that they're saying on Twitter etc and those things all kind of feed into you formulating sort of questions which you know there will be no not necessarily you're not necessarily just trying to kind of um tease out what that person thinks but also trying to offer a little bit of challenge almost in there as well or kind of bit of devil devil's advocate and try to try try to really get them to really justify or kind of tease out their their thinking behind their arguments as well and i think that is there's definitely a, a craft in that and i think darren who was on the show back in October time, uh, said that, you know, one of the most important things to do is to do your research and, and, and know what you're, and it's those things, doing the research, you know, reading the books and everything, those things take an awful amount of time. You know, this is an hour long <laughs> radio show and your you know, podcasts, you know, uh, are, are longer, but obviously the amount of time that actually, and thought and, and, and effort that goes into them is, is fantastic. And I think that again is, is why they, is one of those reasons why they're that successful. And, you know, the fact that you're bringing in a, a wide range of voices from all different kind of viewpoints, etc., um, puts it in the core of the listener, right? Puts it in the core of the, of the listener in terms of like them making their minds up over, over a range of, of dis- different issues. Um, so in terms of the question, so, so you've given us a bit of an, an idea there about um, the, 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 the effort, if you like, and, and the work that goes into forming the questions. And you also said that there's not normally much kind of further probing. Is that, is that I guess, because you've set a certain number of questions and you know that any more kind of deviating from them will probably roll the podcast into a 24-hour style podcast? Yeah, partly. But if you think about who's listening, Dorian, you know, you've got to credit the listener um, who's going to listen to an education podcast with the intelligence that they can make up their own minds based on what's being discussed. They don't necessarily need me to be arguing the points there. And, and the other, there are a lot of, lot of good podcasts out there where, like I said, there's a bit of to and fro, there's a bit of trading of, of, of viewpoints, and that's great. And, you know, I love to listen to those as well. But you say, well, what's different about ours? I like to leave the space there to say, right, well, we've had a discussion about this. It doesn't mean that I agree or I disagree or it would necessarily work in in my context with our students, whatever it might be, but it might do for you. And I want to leave you open with that possibility that that's what might happen. And in terms of, I mean, you're obviously, you're an experienced host now. 
you know, I, I'm, I'm often, it's very strange to be on the other side of it because I've got no <laughs> clock here at the moment. You know, I'm normally watching the clock and I'm thinking, right, how many questions have I got left? Sometimes we'll leave some out, but I, I like to keep it to the hour, you know, mm. and I like to make sure that we do get through the questions. And also, as it tends to focus on books at the moment, I want to make sure that there's enough there to pique the interest of the listener, but not mm. too much that they think, well, there's no point going and getting the book. And just so everybody knows, we're not on any kind of commission for any books, you know, <laughs> yes, okay. I do get sent some books occasionally from all sorts of different publishers, mm. but, you know, we don't take any money for those kind of mm. things. And it's not, mm. there's, there's no kind of vested interest in that. It's genuinely right. What kind of CPD would be useful for me? And, you know, you, you talked about it before that's how it kind of evolved towards it's like right well this is the best kind of cpd that i can get you know imagine mm. and i still can't believe i get to say this sometimes but you know i go in front of our staff or other staff and then they say you know they, they put a quote up from from hirsch or michael young and you go yeah well when i, when I had a conversation with don you know and they think anything <laughs> i can't actually believe that that's something that's happened you know and that's been absolutely superb cpd for me so if it's superb cpd for me it's likely to be useful cpd for the person that's listening to it as well yeah and, and actually uh, uh tom rogers um said in our in our meeting i think last that last month about the idea of when you're trying to choose your guests when you're trying to get you what's your topic first and then try and find your guest to fit the topic rather than the other way around because then you know that's you you're you're focusing on the issue and then seeing someone's view and, and opinions of that issue rather than you know trying to crowbar in a, an issue uh, the, the other way around fantastic and huge credit to, to tom and, and to everybody involved you know mm. his teacher talk radio i mean you know how much work must go into that on top of mm. the day-to-day work of teachers because that you know obviously all the presenters on the radio station are you know surfing teachers in classrooms and to be able to do all of that alongside that because you know how much preparation that takes and i don't think necessarily and why would you if you listen to it you don't see you know buy the book read the book mm. formulate the questions do the invites do the edits put it out you know try to promote it as best you can on social media around everything else. And and it's mostly altruistic, isn't it? And people are doing this for other people's benefits. You know, we're not really sitting here to doing this for particularly for our benefit. I mean, it's nice, isn't it? To be able to have those opportunities to speak to people and it does help your own professional development, but you know, at, at its basic level, most people are doing this to help other people. And that sure says a lot about the community that you've got at the radio station, the mm. communities on things like Twitter. It's, it's mostly a positive experience, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and I can't, I can't stress that enough, you know, the, the meetings that, we, that we've had, you know, Tom again shared this list of all the extra jobs that come, you know, not just, not just hosts. So the hosts are the kind of, like, I guess the front facing, but it's all under the hood, all of the things, you know, the, 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 the news readers, the, um, the, the policy writers, you know, the, the, there's so many people involved at the, at, at the station in terms that, that do all their little bit to make sure that we're able to kind of keep up this, uh, this output. And, and I, and I agree what you say, you know, there, there is that altruistic kind of, approach to it but at the same time i uh, it's fascinating for me i enjoy it and i think it's a really uh, a great way i've said in a couple of shows before actually that rarely do we, we we work kind of quite we can feel quite isolated as teachers at times you know because we just teach students and we're in rooms it's just us one adult and, and the rest students so having that kind of platform if you like or that opportunity to be able to kind of share our experiences and give our thoughts and opinions based on our our, our experiences is uh, is something that uh, is uh, is, a, is a, i think a fantastic opportunity for us 
Um, last question then before we go to the old uh, uh, to, to the news here, um, and I think we've kind of answered it in a roundabout way, really. But it was just about how you go about deciding or or or, or inviting guests. Uh, again, I'll refer back to Darren's um, uh, show, and and he said he has, he's never had anyone not. Uh, not want to go on the podcast on his podcast. So is it the same sort of thing with you guys, Nailers Natter? Yeah, very much so. I think something that we consciously did, Dorian, and it was something that really helped us was, um, you know, sort of last year we went and, and kind of diversified the presenters that we had on the show. Um, because at the time, if you remember, we were doing a weekly show. Now to do a weekly show, as you know, it is quite a challenge on top of everything else that you've got to do. So, you know, I thought it was an ideal opportunity to kind of, you know, increase the amount of, of people that were presenting. But also what that did is it opened us up to lots of different educators, lots of different fields, because, you know, you, you kind of see the world through the lens of whatever it is that you're particularly involved in. So I might have interviewed lots of people from Blackpool. <laughs> I might have interviewed lots of people that, you know, were research and, and evidence-based. But I thought, well, it's time to look a little bit broader than that and not just kind of stick within what's in your timeline or what books would be in your basket or what kind of things people you know are reading. So kind of diversifying the presenters made a huge difference and it really opened up lots of opportunities. So off the back of, you know, Abby and Emma and lots of other people doing uh, shows for us, it kind of opens up to a, a lot of different people that I wouldn't necessarily have gravitated towards, not for any other reason than, you know, I wasn't necessarily aware of their work. And, you know, I have to thank Paul Dix for this as well. And I haven't been on Teacher Hug Radio for a long time. I know I shouldn't talk about the other the other stations necessarily <laughs> on this one, but obviously- We can hey, beep it out, it's fine. Yeah, beep it out. Well, anyway, that gave me an opportunity to speak to lots of different people and lots of different, you know, contexts. And like you said, see what goes on in kind of under the hood and the, and the whole process. Mm. And, and you gain something from everyone that you speak to, don't you? Even just going to those meetings like you talked about with Tom this week, you know, how to use a microphone properly. You've alluded to it earlier on the kind of um, off-air discussion. You know, the sound quality in our early episodes was awful, absolutely awful. And it's because I didn't know anything about sound quality. We were propping up a phone into an iPad, recording it onto a voice note, and then mm. pumping it straight out to people to listen to because we didn't know. But meeting some people who are technicians, you know, people who understand how these things work, has made a huge difference to the quality and the editing process as well. So in terms of choosing guests, it's a lot more diverse than it maybe was before because we've got lots of people that are choosing yes and you know i'm very fortunate now that a lot of people will approach me and say you know would be would you be interested in having us on the show we've got this to talk about so i think well great so I, yeah I, I do still choose people that are within those fields i'm used to i, I may alluded to the fact that we've got guests coming up from from the eef i've got becky allen coming up you know talking about the next best thing next big thing in school improvement mm -hmm. which is a you know a book that again ready for christmas in a couple of weeks will be ideal yeah. um but you know I also have lots of different people in lots of different fields that have been suggested by, you know, extended members of the team. So hopefully we're representative of the full teaching profession. And that's something that we, we are nearly working hard to make sure that we do. Brilliant. And that's, again, that's exactly what I think Teachers Talk Radio are very proud of as well, the way that we do have such a diverse range of, of teachers, all of us, you know, practicing teachers, but uh, from all uh, different areas uh, in society. And, and, and I think that like a really good point that you made there, which I hadn't really thought about. It's not just the diversity of the team, but actually of the, 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 pool of i guess guests 
that we can that that we have access to as a result of that of that diversity. So that's that's absolutely fantastic. And and yeah, the last thing before we go for the break, there's just this is probably a, you know one of the very few um, shows or podcasts where you've actually heard more uh, from you than you have. Uh, the other way around right so you're used to just asking the questions and letting letting and having a rest for five minutes but now it's the other way around it's interesting yeah, this is this is now more like any meeting in which i feature dorian which is just me talking all the time so yes please please do do tell me to stop right well we'll give you a little rest there and gail's going to bring in the news so we'll be back in about three minutes are you looking to take your phonics practice forward then little wondle letters and sounds revised is the program for you Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondlelettersandsounds.org.uk. Teachers Talk Radio is delighted to support Winston's Wish, the UK's childhood bereavement charity. Winston's Wish supports children and their families after the death of a parent or sibling. They provide emotional and practical bereavement support. Expert teams also provide online resources, specialist publications and training for professionals. Find out more about Winston's Wish and pledge your support at www.winstonswish.org. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. In Northern Ireland, the Education Minister, Michelle McElveen, is facing increasing pressure to develop an emergency plan to ensure that schools remain open after the Christmas holidays. Daniel McCrossan, SDLP MLA, said, Our schools are already under extreme pressure and the alarm bell has been sounded about the Omicron variant. We need to do everything we can now to ensure our schools can reopen safely in the new year. We need to see a reserve list of qualified teachers drawn up from education bodies and the department so they can be deployed to cover classroom shortages. And a reserve list of other education staff, including classroom assistants, administrative staff and cleaners who can help out when needed. I am also proposing an immediate reintroduction of mitigations, including cleaning regimes, safe travel to and from school, ventilation, contact tracing, and ensuring the current isolation guidance is followed. Epson and World Mobile have agreed to work together to support education and bring new opportunities to unconnected schools in Africa. The project has started with network connectivity from World Mobile and the installation of printers and projectors by Epson in some areas of Zanzibar, Tanzania, which have until now been left off the grid. These two companies 
have shown commitment to helping achieve the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. In this case, SDG 4, Quality Education, SDG 9, Industry, Innovation and Infrastructure, and SDG 17, Partnership for the Goals. Henning Olsen, Sustainability Director of Epson Europe said, This project is not about Epson or World Mobile. It's about focusing on until now disadvantaged local communities and providing the people there with opportunities to flourish. We firmly believe that providing a quality education for all is a key goal to achieve a sustainable society and we are delighted to work with our friends at World Mobile to do our part. We have just started this project but we hope that other partners will join us to create a positive cycle that benefits everyone involved. In Ghana, the education think tank Africa Education Watch has urged the government to increase the basic education share of the country's education sector expenditure by at least 50%, particularly to deprived public basic schools. Research has revealed poor teacher deployment, lack of textbooks, desks, washrooms, water, school buildings, among others, as hindrances to the achievement of quality education at the basic level. Executive Director of Africa Education Watch said, we must be more concerned about equitable distribution of resources and the distribution of quality education to the poorest and deprived communities, rather than pride ourselves with the numbers which favour urban schools. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. Thank you very much for that, Gail, and welcome back to Teachers Talk Radio. It's me, Dorian Brown, on the Friday morning break, and I am joined with Phil Naylor from Naylor's Natter, just talking to teachers. Naylor's Natter, talking to teachers. Uh, in section one, uh, we heard all about Phil's journey in education um, and his uh, and football, obviously, before it may have mentioned something about an A licensing coaching, but can't quite remember. Uh, and then we talked about, uh, well, we actually talked about the, the, the role of schools uh, and school leaders and sort of going through the pandemic as well, uh, which was which was a really fascinating uh, kind of discussion to think about the, the challenges that leadership leaders have been um, faced with over the last couple of years and actually seen some opportunities come out of them. We then moved to looking at the history of Naylor's Natter, if you like. And this, uh, I think if uh, you have to correct me if I'm wrong, Phil, but it was to, uh, January 2019 when we when he first aired. Um, and then uh, it has very much developed and evolved over time uh, and diversified, as we talked about before. Um, I wonder if you might kind of just give us a little bit more um, information about that sort of evolution, Phil, in terms of particularly, you know, to wor working with the TDT um, and also some experimental um, parts within the podcast when you looked at uh, things like the music section uh, and, and, and those bits like that. So maybe give us a bit of a, a, an idea as to how the, the, the podcast evolved over time and why. 
Yeah, well, I mean, there's, there's a lot of podcasts out there at the moment, aren't there, Doreen? And I mean, that's a great thing. And, and you know, I'm a huge fan of, of lots of those. So, you know, we've mentioned Darren. We could mention Bex with uh, Page Practice. Great, you know, Dynamic Depth. Mm. There's so many really good podcasts. One of my huge, one of my all-time favorites, by the way, is Ollie Lovell. I don't know if you've come across the E Triple R. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Ollie's an. Oh, it's just, 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 I think it's one of the best podcasts. Didn't, you know, didn't he do where... a three hour? Wasn't his, he hit his record, I think, of about three hour one recently, wasn't that? I think. Oh, they're so good. They're so, they're so good. They also... Because I mean, when I do those, I do those, like I said, you know, I do try to to get on the running machine or whatever it is in the morning before I go to work. And it's, it's mm. you know, a full week, isn't it, with Ollie Lovell? And, and what yeah. more can you ask for, listener? If you haven't listened to it already, then do. And it's back to what you were saying, Dorian, before about people helping each other in the community that's out there. So, you know, Ollie just, when a very very early days and he, he sent me a, a dm and he said you know can i just ask what what equipment you use sound wise <laughs> a phone an ipad a pair of headphones and he's like right well i can recommend this have a try at this that sort of thing and i just thought how kind is that you know for somebody who's you know he's, he's out there in australia he's producing a really top quality podcast with all these you know really high-end guests and he's got mm. time to send me a direct message as a kind of up-and-coming Mm. attempting podcaster to say right this is the equipment you should be using and you can improve your sound because obviously you thought the content was worth listening to so you know people have been so kind but in terms of how has it evolved over time i mean i'll be honest with you dorian some of the things i've done have been a bit gimmicky because you're trying to kind of think well how do i keep it fresh how do i keep it interesting what kind of things can we do mm. so we've done lots around kind of you know having multiple guests on mixing the sections up you know, endlessly investing in uh, new jingles to try and hit the, uh, you know, the, the earworm quota for uh, Nailers Natter jingles, which we might talk about later on. The TDT, I mean, the TDT for a long time were huge supporters of the podcast. And thank you to David Weston and, and the team there for supporting that. You know, we've decided to go in different directions and I understand that because they, they want to do their own content and they want to do their own thing with that. And, you know, I'm a huge supporter of anything that the, the Teacher Development Trust are doing. And I know that they still support what we're doing as well. The bit that's staying when I've got time to do it, Dorian, but again, this goes back to what you were saying before about, you know, having the time to do it as a practicing teacher. You know, I loved the uh, the vinyl suite section, which you will know is, um, my, well, we've actually moved out of offices now. Myself and High Noon, as he is on Twitter, shared an office for a long time as um, as colleagues in a room. We had a record player in the corner of the room which we used, um, you know, to, to kind of ca calm us down after a busy, a busy, uh, a busy day in education. And we often brought in records from the eighties and that kind of thing. And we talked about them and it was something that we kind of had a point of reference. We thought, well, why don't we ask the guests? And do you know what, Dorian, I mean, if you've listened to some of those, you mm -hmm. do learn a lot about people from those. And I mean, I've got yeah. records behind me. I know this looks like a wonderful, like green screen, which it is, but behind that is carnage. Um, behind there, it's just, you know, records and record players and all sorts. And I've ended up going buying lots of different records off the back of guest recommendations, you know, what yeah. people were talking about. And the best one recently was, and I know you've had him, uh, he's been on the show, he's been on Teacher Talk Radio, hasn't he? Um, mm. Dublin Off, my all-time mm. education hero. Yes. And his playlist was, was just worth listening to that bit of the episode. Never mind all the stuff about T-like 3.0. Just listen <laughs> to his playlist. So that... Because that was the episode that... Uh, sorry if I just interrupted. That, that was... It was the records that he was listening to when he was writing T-Lab. And so he took a different spin on, 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 on the playlist for that, didn't he? 
Well, he did. When, he, when Doug Lamov's on, he can do what he wants. Can't he? Yeah, of Doug course. Lamov, far <laughs> be it from me to say what Doug Lamov can do anything he likes. Um, but yeah, he did. He said, and I just thought, well, how interesting is that? As somebody who's attempting to, to write and, and finishing off writing, and we'll, again, we'll probably talk about that later on. It was just really interesting to think, well, what kind of records is he listening to? And can you hear those coming through the pages of, of T-Like? So mm. I went and bought a music license. We've got a music license to have X number of songs for 30 seconds over a period of time. But Again, you know, just to re-emphasize that we're still teachers in schools and it's tough, isn't it, at the moment to try and be able to do that and everything else. And mm-hmm. that edit takes a long time. You know, go and get the song, cut the song down, edit that in, sort that out, try and edit it across. And, you know, truth be told, sometimes I don't have the time for that. And we, yeah. we did kind of reach the tipping point. I was doing a weekly show for two and a half years. I did a weekly show, but it became too much to do to do that. I just couldn't possibly do all that. So the vinyl sweep is there sporadically. The show is there itself sporadically. It's not every week anymore. It's just kind of as and when um, we can get the time to do it. But hopefully when it's there, you know, some of those features will will continue. Um, and you never know, we might get some new features, might we, going into the rest of this year. Absolutely. And, and, and do you know what? You've got such a, 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 an amazing, you've done an amazing amount of shows already. I think 100 upwards of 130 i think is it so i mean it, i'm sure there's that there may be one or two people that have heard every single show um but if they haven't then the back catalog is is extensive um and i don't think that you know there's necessarily you no know, I, I think it's a quite interesting there how you're kind of uh, you're, you're you're steering this into the idea that you know it, it is onerous on time well, you see the upside you see the benefits of doing it but it it can be sh- uh, stressful it can be strange particularly if you set yourself this you know weekly show or weekly commitment and this feature which takes a lot more of your time and so i think it's 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 very smart of you i guess to to to, to kind of take us that step back and say do you know what this weekly and this feature etc that's not really sustainable at this moment in time and and so being able to kind of step back from that and say look do you know what it will happen when it when we've got time great um but i think what really backs that up as well is the fact that you've already put in an incredible amount of hours as well into that back catalog which people can just kind of dip into um very freely so i think that's a really interesting and, and valid point that you're making there that you know whilst we enjoy what we what we do um as our hobbies because that's essentially what it what the what these are and they as our hobbies we do have to be mindful of that overall impact and and demands on our time ultimately and people do don't they people do dip into those back catalogs i mean i'm not obsessed with with figures or anything but you know occasionally i have a look through and i just and, and it amazes me how many hits that you get on sort of very old episodes and there'll be a run on a particular thing, you know, so someday yes. you, you get Douglas Mov on and then they go and look further back and kind of join that up with, well, he's referenced that episode. So we'll go and look at that. Yes. And you, you do really see that. And it, in terms of, you know, a recent episode that's made a huge difference for me is uh, the Harry Fletcher Wood one, not necessarily the one that I did with Harry, although that was very good. But again, we've, we've referenced Ollie before and he talked mm. in detail with Harry about, you know, um, his latest book. And I thought, you know, about habits and yes. you know, we can get to good habits, can't we? As teachers about things that we do. And I thought, well, it's all right saying, well, sporadically, I'll put a podcast out as and when, but I need to get back into the habits of, right, well, you know, if I'm going to do this, it should be done at, particular, you know, fairly relevant, sorry, fairly um, regular intervals. And one of the things that we've done is looked at a piece of software that will do it as easily as it can, rather than me having to go through and edit it. You know, you pay a little bit of money, uh, it'll edit it for you. It'll address the sound levels. It'll do all that kind of thing. And it's, it's so it's back to that kind of East model of, you know, habits, isn't it? Easy, attractive, social, timely, whatever it might be. Mm. And having that technology there makes it a lot easier to hopefully be able to do it, 
you know, certainly every month, if not every week. Absolutely. That's fantastic. And, and um, to, to pick up on what you, what you said earlier there as well, sometimes uh, a podcast, uh, if you've got guests on, et cetera, sometimes it's, it's very difficult to actually get any feedback as well in terms, you know, cause it almost feels like you're shouting into a void sometimes. And you mentioned the idea of, you know, you can, you can, you can count numbers of downloads and stuff, but that's just a, a, a click, isn't it? Um, what's the actual uh, how 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 do you actually get feedback from um from episodes uh, or from shows which go out which kind of because the reason i asked that is that because you said um you know you you try this and then you try the you know the vinyl suite and then you try the film reviews and then and and, and you're looking for that kind of magic formula which probably doesn't exist so <laughs> um because there's such a diverse kind of uh, range of needs i guess out there when it comes to podcasting so so yeah how, where where do you where do you get the information i guess to inform the decisions that you make and the, and the tweaks that you make on the podcast well, I mean, a lot of the tweaks that we did initially, so around film reviews and things like that, were around, you talked about it before, about lockdowns and partial closures. And, you know, p- people were sometimes using that to create more, weren't they? Because you had more time, you were in the house more. So, you know, it's kind of trying to get myself and the listener through those periods. We were never going to sustain that necessarily. But I think mm-hmm. if you do look at uh, figures, and not, not forensically, not in any detail, but you look through and say, well, it's the basic formula that seems to be the most popular. You know, it's the guests that you get in there and it's the discussion that you have. You know, you can do your vinyl suite because, I mean, I like the things like the vinyl suite. You can do your film reviews. You can do your, your TDT sections. You can do all of those extra bits. But what, what is it fundamentally that people tune in for? They tune in for the guests. And hopefully yes. they tune in for reasonably informed presenters who are having a similar experience to, you know, yourself as a listener and they can understand what it means to implement that person's work within a school. And I think that is the basics. So when you go back and look at the most popular episodes, if you want, you know, the, the most popular episode by um, by considerable distances are the two with one with Paul Dix and one with Tom Bennett. They're the two mm-hmm. because people are interested in behavior. People are interested in what kind of things they can implement to try and address any concerns or promote positive behavior in schools so they're the two and they didn't feature any gimmicks they didn't feature any vinyl suites i didn't ask you know tom what his favorite songs were we just had a straightforward discussion about the books that they were talking about at the time so i think as you said at the beginning i think is the formula of the podcast in its most simple um simple form seems to be the most popular and that seems to be the one that we've kind of settled on the one that we'll continue with in the future Beautiful and long may it, long may it continue as well. Um, let me uh, let me just steer a couple of questions to you before we kind of go uh, move on uh, to something very exciting towards the end of uh, of, of the show today. Uh, two two questions, if I may. The first one is, um, and again, I think we've kind of in a roundabout way kind of answered this ourselves um, as the show's gone on, but professional growth how how to what extent or, or how far do you feel that you have grown professionally um as a result of i was gonna say just hosting but actually being you know organizing and hosting the shows mm. well when i was doing the the, the job in terms of the, the tdt job which was essentially to um set up professional development hubs across blackpool so working with the, the senior members of staff that were responsible for cpd you know, it's one thing to engage with a text. It's one thing to engage with an EEF report. It's one thing to look at a toolkit, but it's something else to be able to speak to the people behind that. And in terms of my professional growth, it gave me the confidence to to understand how those things work a lot better. And also it, it brought down some barriers of not being frightened to talk about those things because 
I don't know what your kind of views on the educational research movement doing were, but I was I was quite intimidated by it at first, especially when I'd been given this role to be, you know, assistant. Well, we made up the role, but to be assistant director of a research school. I mean, that sounds like you really should know what you're talking about. And at mm. that stage, you know, I've been teaching already, what, 16, 17 years by that stage. And you could write what I knew about academic research, you know, with a sharpie on the back of a, of a, of a stamp. You know, I didn't know anything at all, really, about academic research. And you could easily be pulled off by that. Um, not by anybody involved in the community, because these people were hugely supportive and really encouraging. And it wasn't that, but having had the opportunity to sit down and talk to, you know, Michael Young about powerful knowledge. I mean, what, and he was so good by the way, as well. I mean, it's a shame that the recording quality of that particular episode was, was awful um, for the reasons that we talked about before, but you know, you having, it gave you that confidence to understand what they're talking about behind the, the books. So it brought the kind of the academic research and evidence to life so that then you were able to then share that with other colleagues. And, you know, quite often in training sessions that we've been doing, if we were leading on something about professional development, I'd, I'd share clips or we'd talk about that. And you'd quite often find that, you know, the people in the schools that you went to were listening to the, the episodes of the podcast as well. So it had a huge impact on my professional development. And hopefully it had the same on, on the audiences that we were speaking to. In terms of now, I think it's even more important Dorian, now, for me, as a deputy head, because you said it before, you know, you can exist in your own silo, you can exist in your own school, doing your own things. And if, you know, you don't have the opportunity to kind of engage more widely, you do become very much sort of, I mean, hesitate to say, I'm not talking about our school, but you can become institutionalized, can't you, with the mm. particular place mm. that you're talking about and the way that you do things here. And you must have this as well. You come home from, you know, and you're, you've, you've been working today, but you come mm. home and you think, right, the last thing I want to do now is have a podcast to talk to somebody about education, having been involved in it all day. But there's never been one time when I've come away from that been anything less than enthused. You know, I come out of these conversations and I think, oh, wow, you know, I'm buzzing after a conversation that I've had with somebody and it, it's always worth doing. So I think yes. it, it keeps you fresh. It keeps you current. It keeps you understanding what kind of things people are talking about. And then you can have those conversations with people because, you know, um, fortunately, it's not a video podcast, is it, doing this? So we're okay. So, you know, I'm on more on the veteran side of teaching. So, I mean, I've been around this a long time. And, you know, you like to keep engaged with what is happening, what is going on. And it does help you in those conversations on the corridor with your colleagues. They'll come and say, oh, you know, you spoke to such a buddy yesterday. You know, how was yeah. that? What kind of things can we do? And, and that very much does happen in our school. So, it's been huge for me and hopefully it's useful for the listener as well. Does that make you a bit of an oracle though, in some respects, you know, because you've spoken to, but I mean, from not, not from your personal view, but your colleagues, do they now see, well, Phil, he talks to all, all of these people about all of these issues. So therefore he must have all the answers. Um, much as I'd like to think, not not about the Oracle, because everyone knows that's not the case, <laughs> but much as you'd like to think that everybody engages with social media edu twitter whatever it might be it's not the majority of people mm. and i learned this when um obviously i was working at the research school and, and, and Stephen Tini i mentioned before you know has some astronomical number of followers you know and he would talk about things and he'd get excited about all these guests that were going to have at research at blackpool but then you'd go to the school down the road and you'd say right well i've and i won't give any names so it wouldn't be fair but i've got such a buddy and they'd just go who well mm. you know and people the, the 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 most teachers don't necessarily engage with all of that so it, it, it's not that people at my school are going to think well he's the oracle on this and actually probably go the other way I'm, I'm pretty sure that a lot of them don't even know that i do a podcast or have ever listened right. to the podcast so right. you know some of the ones that do will come up to me and ask certain things but not from the viewpoint of i must know from the mm. viewpoint of well ooh, what do you think about speaking to them is that something that we should do 
you know, and, yeah. and uh, you know, I think you said about Darren's podcast, I mean, he's done a lot on instructional coaching, for example, and I've listened to a few of those and thought, well, is that going to be applicable for us in our context? Quite possibly. So we'll listen to that. So no, nobody that listens to it should ever think I was the Oracle about anything. And actually that's the opposite of the kind of the, the viewpoint of the, the podcast. It was very, like I said at the beginning, you know, yes. the guest is the expert. I am just the facilitator in this conversation. Yes, a very willing one as well. And there's there's a number of things I kind of noted down from what you were saying there. That first thing is the idea of just having the confidence, and 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 how just having these com- these conversations with people just kind of fills you a little bit more with confidence and says doesn't make you the expert per se, but it just gives you that. You know, for me, for the the, the few first handful of shows that I did, I, I only reached out to the people, my, my friends, and people that <laughs> the people that I knew and and had a relationship with, and I think that kind of started to give me confidence, and and then started to kind of reach out to to people you know within the educational field like yourself etc on twitter um and and it's been absolutely fantastic and i do feel more prepared as a result and more more confident to be able to engage in these conversations um with people i'm perhaps maybe less familiar with so i think that's really helpful and and you, and you hit the nail on the head with that um with the with that kind of stigma i guess that comes with research uh in the way that you know there there has traditionally been this huge gulf between the um, academic research, how it's presented, et cetera, and pedagogy in the classroom. And I think that these these books and our, our podcasts and our radio shows, et cetera, are doing a really good job of actually bridging that gap and actually sh- and demystifying the kind of the, the, the um, I guess, complex and inaccessible to an extent language that a lot of these the, the research, researchers have. And, and, it, and, it's, and it falls back to what... Um, I think uh, Dylan Williams said, isn't it? It's the way that it's never going to be an evidence-based profession, but it's to be evidence-informed, isn't it? And so we need to, as, as you rightly said, you know, see what's going on in other areas, et cetera, in order to that to inform um, our practice. And, and that lovely little bit at the end there as well, that idea of you um, always happy to engage in in discourse about education no matter how much of a week you've had and and i reflect that very much so that i there's a group of five or six of us at, at my school that just meet every every month and just talk about teaching and and strategies and what went well and this that and the other and we had we had a meeting a couple of weeks ago and it was two parents evenings that week a staff meeting after one of the days etc and this, so this was the last day of that week and it was and, and it was amazing how much positivity and, and stuff was there, despite everybody, everybody being so drained and, and, and ready to go home. That conversation about um, we were doing show me boards, I think, uh, was just was just so galvanizing, even though we were kind of on our last legs in terms of in terms of energy. So, yeah, fantastic. Um, Phil, we are hurtling towards uh, the end uh, of the show. So we're going to. Just break off now for uh, an advertisement break, and then we've got a little announcement after the break. So please do stay tuned. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondelettersandsounds.org.uk. 
Teachers Talk Radio is delighted to support Winston's Wish, the UK's childhood bereavement charity. Winston's Wish supports children and their families after the death of a parent or sibling. They provide emotional and practical bereavement support. Expert teams also provide online resources, specialist publications and training for professionals. Find out more about Winston's Wish and pledge your support at www.winstonswish.org. Live from Qatar, this is The Breakfast Show with Dorian Brown on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. And welcome back to Teachers Talk Radio. It is I, Dorian Brown. You are on the Friday morning break and we are in the company of Phil Naylor from Naylor's Natter, just talking to teachers. Naylor's Natter, talking to teachers. Just before the break there, we had a very long and very interesting uh, discussion about how uh, the Naylor's Natter podcast had evolved over time. And we had also uh, highlighted a number of the uh, the ways in which the, the podcast had changed. Um, but ultimately that coming back down to the, 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 bare bones of what has made Nader's Natter so successful is having, uh, knowledgeable guests and those knowledgeable guests are being presented with, with, with questions, which are really drawing out some, uh, pertinent ideas, uh, from a range of different issues within the education sphere. And it's just that kind of that, that bare bones of asking people who are experts in some fields, perhaps, or are authors of books, some, some key questions and, 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 and then just letting them go really. And just let, let, let them answer those questions in whatever length or, or depth that they, that they feel uh, doing so. And I think that I, I absolutely do think that that is the, the why um, Phil's podcasts have been so successful because it is that kind of very, um, let's say simple, but, but effective way of, of, of communicating information. Um, just before we move on to the big announcement for the end of this episode, I wonder, Phil, uh, if there were any people that were listening who were keen to uh, foray into the uh, into the podcasting world, if you had any kind of top tips or any advice uh, for anyone starting out in the industry. Well, firstly, Dorian, far bit from me to give anybody any advice about anything, <laughs> but uh, seeing as you asked the question, um, I suppose just go for it, really. I mean, if we can produce a podcast as we did originally with a phone propped up to an iPad in a research cupboard. And it listeners, it was a cupboard. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. They converted it. They took the cleaning products out and put me inside my cocks in it. So if we can do that and, and have a podcast now that, you know, gets listened to in all these different countries by all these different people, you know, it, it, it's amazing. So anybody can do that in terms of, you know, finding the best approach that suits you. I mean, people have got, you know, we're, we're blessed with a huge range of different podcasts and different ways of doing things now. So, you know, find the best way that, that, that suits you and just go for that and put that out in terms of what I would say uh, about the edgy podcast community. I mean, it is Dorian. It's the most supportive community you can imagine. You'd think there'd be some kind of competitive element. You'd think people would be trying to make sure that their podcast was the one that was front and center, but 
everybody is hugely supportive of everybody else. So I've mentioned about Ollie Lovell sending me a message about what equipment you're going to use. You know, the messages that we've had from Craig Barton, the message that we've had, you know, from Tom Rogers. Um, Tom's been a huge supporter, even even singing the uh, the theme tune, much better than I I could possibly do. But you think about people like Bex, who who does hers, and it's a very different approach to her podcast. It's listeners sending their versions uh, of the book in the podcast, but everybody tweets each other, everybody promotes each other's podcast, everybody shares each other's episodes. So, you know, if you're going to be joining in the podcast community, it's that kind of supportive element as well. And and just, you know, enjoy it. If one person gets one thing from your podcast, then it's worth doing. And I know that sounds like a yes. cliche, but it, it, it's absolutely true. You know, we're having a conversation today. I'm going to go away and think, well, I, you know, I've got something from the conversation that we've had because I've been back and listened to a lot of your episodes, you know, as a kind of preamble to this. So obviously, you know, if we get one thing from listening to the the podcast or, or, the, or the show, then it's worth doing, isn't it? Definitely worth doing. So there's my uh, nailers nuggets of uh, <laughs> adv- advice for any future podcasters. Fantastic, and 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 just to to kind of you know, back up on that as well, there's just two 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 things. I think like the the technology element as well that you know it it, it can be rustic and still be effective, and there are many kind of. Uh, apps and, and and things and platforms now, which are a lot more easier to uh, a lot more user friendly, and uh, particularly for technophobes, etc., where they can you can literally just record your voice into a, a, an i i a, a smartphone uh, and then upload that onto a platform pretty 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 simply now. So so don't be kind of um, scared by the tech and 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 that final point on the community, amazing. I think you know. Uh, your, your guests that you get as well, uh, I think, uh, and it can be anybody. I mean, you, you know, we you, Nailers Natta has a has a, a, a very big reputation, has a, and you've interviewed some luminaries of the industry uh, of uh, of the field, as have a number of the other top podcasters. But actually, a lot of the other shows uh, have people who who are teachers um, and, and doing the day to day, etc. And I think that whole um, that community feel, you know, to, having someone who is a who is a day to day teacher rather than someone who perhaps maybe is a is a is a researcher or or, or, or writer of multiple books, etc., is also really affirming, I think, as well, um, because there, it, it has that takes away that kind of that uh, fear almost factor of, of 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 you having to be on that person's le- on that person's level to be able to di- digest the podcast. Did, did you agree with that? To agree to sense there, Phil? Absolutely, and I mean that's why I listen to Teach Talk Radio. You know, there's there's lots of lots of different guests, lots of people in the classroom. And, you know, as I said, you know, you, you're going to get potentially teachers listening to it. You can get middle leads, you can get senior leaders listening to it. And for senior leaders like myself to understand what it's like for the teachers in the classroom, obviously you've got the experience of seeing that on an everyday basis, but some listening to, to your show or listening to other shows on, on there, it gives you that insight as to what that's like, because it's a fast moving industry, isn't it? Mm. Teachers moving very, very quickly. And if, you know, one of the things that, that we maybe get, um, leveled at us is you don't know what it's like to teach a full day. And we say, well, I do know what it's like to teach a full day, but not for a long time. Mm. So, you know, if you go back and listening to people that are doing that every day, it's hugely beneficial. So yeah, there's, there's room for everybody with a podcast. And obviously you've got, I mean, I was talking to Mary Myers about this um, a couple of weeks ago, you know, you've got now the videos, I mean, so you've got video podcasts, you've got Twitter threads, you've got, you know, articles, blogs, you've got lots of different, you know, YouTube, you've got the Zoom, you've got all sorts of ways of communicating, haven't you? You've got online conferences. There's so much out there 
that mm. for everybody and anybody to be involved in and to choose so that it shouldn't put anybody off at all you know no everybody who's got everyone's got a voice and it and you know you know something like i think a good example Dorian, of just going off slightly is like you know toria um who's got the tiny voices podcast i mean that's a great example isn't it of giving people that platform to kind of yes. share the good work that they're doing as well so you know there's definitely room for luck for anybody and if anybody does want any help or support particularly with somebody who found technology very very difficult at the beginning you know by all means reach out get in touch and we'll try and talk you through how uh you know man in mid-40s conquered uh technology to a certain extent so you know feel, feel free. very kind offer there phil thank you very much and we will put your we'll put your twitter handle in the in, in the show notes as well at the end well that's absolutely fantastic um i've really sort of enjoyed that kind of uh, journey through uh from uh inception um to to where we are now with the podcast and i really do hope that uh, and i know that it will you will continue to put out quality content and and, and there has been you know the most recent ep- episodes etc which you've referred to over the course of of the show um uh, still have that quality uh nailers natter hallmark on it uh what we have all come to expect um something that we weren't expecting maybe or maybe you weren't expecting uh is uh the announcement that we're going to be uh, dropping on the public this morning i wonder if you would uh, be so kind as to let us know what that is well this is why you asked me on so near to christmas dorian didn't you because uh-huh. obviously this is a, a chance to kind of uh add something else to your christmas list uh which is nail as natter the book which has been quite a long time in the making, um, which will be out sort of early next year. So when you add it to your Christmas list, it's a pre-order, <laughs> a pre-order <laughs> from uh, Amazon to make or, or Bloomsbury or lots of other places as well. So uh, in terms of the book itself, it's kind of having had the opportunity, as you've said earlier on, to speak to you know 130, 140 educators. You know, are there some common themes that are coming through? Are there some areas where we can kind of build some sort of consensus or are there some areas where, you know, the the conversation still very much needs to be had? So we thought about, right, well, could we pull all this together? And and you'll have seen it, Dorian, won't you? There's lots of examples of of people in the public eye that have had a podcast and then followed that up with a book. So mm. I think, I mean, I'll probably get this wrong. I think it's the How to Fail. Is that, that one? That's a podcast that then turned into a book. If it's not, cut this section. Um, <laughs> Top of my head, can't remember. But <laughs> yeah, I think, I think there is. I think there is a podcast called that. And then there's, right, there's right. obviously other ones. You know, there's the Barack Obama, President Obama, and Bruce Springsteen have turned it into this. I'm not comparing listeners nearly <laughs> such such you know luminaries. But I thought it might be useful to kind of put that together. Now, originally we thought about should we just do it as transcripts of the conversations and put those out as that. But that that you know obviously first it's quite a lazy thing to do just to put transcripts out that anyone can really do that mm-hmm. we thought well shall we have a look at right certain sections so we've looked at behavior looked at school leadership curriculum cpd and kind of pull the main voices that we've spoken to around those particular areas so i've alluded to a couple of times about the behavior discussions but you've had someone like sam strickland on three or four times you've had people um you know you've had mark finnis on restorative practice you've had lots of different people's opinions on different sides of the discussion mm. and kind of come into some consensus and and this is pertinent to, to your listeners dorian really come into some consensus around how you can actually put that into practice in school so lots of the discussions that we might have on podcasts are quite um i'm gonna say visionary but quite ethereal in the sense that you know you're discussing about something that you don't actually put into practice yourself so mm-hmm. pulling yes. these conversations together and making it practicable and useful and actually you know you can do it in your classroom in your school that was the kind of the thinking so it's taken a long time to pull that together 
to I kind of imagine. get all the quotes. So we've had to use some software to transcribe the podcasts, then work out the, the pertinent quotes, then put those in and then kind of mesh those together. So there's been a huge amount of work that's gone into that. But we're, you know, as we say this, we're on the last last uh, section uh, of trying to get this together. And then we've got to go through the quite complicated procedure. Because obviously I've mentioned quite a few names there, listeners, that may not necessarily have agreed to put this in a book yet. So we've got to go through all the legalities <laughs> of making sure that intellectual property rights, et cetera, et cetera. But when that's all done, hopefully the book will land sort of mid mid 2022. Fantastic. And yes, uh, all pending pending the, uh, the requests from contributors there. Um, one thing to just, uh, and well, congratulations on firstly taking on something like that. You know, again, it's what I said earlier about people sometimes might think that podcasting is just turning up with a microphone. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure people don't think the same about kind of writing a book. It is, I think, an extra level because there, you do have to, you know, there's a, a, heck of a, a heck of a number more layers of things that you need to do. And, and there's a, I'm, I'm assuming you've got some sort of Gantt chart going on there as to when something has to be completed by and uh and and editing and all those different layers um, and just to pick up on the on, on the structure of the theme there in the way that the issues that you that you do kind of are bringing together are, are, are the big you know the hot topics aren't they curriculum and behavior relationships um, does the book seek to uh, sorry, yeah, I can't really ask that, can I? But I'm just saying, is the attempt, is the is the is the premise really the idea that you're taking multiple voices and then analysing and then making recommendations, or is it just a, a kind of a, a commentary, perhaps maybe on those? Because because it's exactly what you said in the way that is it you're trying to distill all of the discussions around it and then perhaps maybe offer some best bets. Mm, exactly that. So that that's what it'll be, Dorian. You know. So in right. terms of obviously, I can't claim best bets as our thing. Obviously, that's mm. been that's been used. So Kevin Collins used that quite a lot, didn't he? In, mm. in terms of of the education or so the evidence movement. But you know, that's what we've kind of come to. So we'll, we've had a contribution from this person, we've had a contribution from that person. We've had some consensus around this particular point. Here's mm. something that you might want to try in your context. So something like CPD. You know, um, and that chapter has been very much live because we had, you know, obviously contributions from David Weston. We've had a look at, you know, things around best practice CPD, but obviously the discussions moved quite a lot with the recent EEF report around that as well. So we've kind of moved around that a little bit. But what are the, you know, the best bets around continuing professional development? And it's unusual, really, isn't it, for any book to have so many different contributors and so many different voices on so many different sides of, of any particular discussion and trying to yes. weave those together. So that's mm. been kind of the journey. And, you know, not not to paraphrase, if it was, Ar was it Arnold, the best that has been thought and said, you know, I, I, again, you'll have to cut that if that's wrong as well. I've had two things that are wrong on this. <laughs> I have to Google it so first. I, yeah, I, th I think that's right. But I'm not, again, I'm not trying to claim that this is the best that has been thought and said, but it's it's up there isn't it in terms of the people that have discussed these things so trying to weave those together into some mm. kind of coherent narrative around those particular topics and and hopefully people find it useful Dorian you know hopefully people will look yeah. at that as a, as a kind of reference point not yes. necessarily from my um you know it's not my views that we're necessarily looking at it's what people who've been on the show have said and now we can kind of pull those together and, and make those useful in your classroom in your school in your context Lovely, and, and and it makes it makes a it makes a very valid point in the way that you're looking at multiple perspectives or multiple ideas rather than a polarized you know uh, binary kind of decision. And 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 I'm guess I'm I'm hoping 
from what you've said that essentially people are going to essentially be able to make up their own minds as a result of kind of listening to these 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 uh learned voices um within within the book which have come from humble beginnings uh in the nailers matter podcast um phil it has been an absolute pleasure uh, talking with you um you should you should get a podcast you're such a good talker you should get a podcast um, <laughs> <thought> about it. <laughs> but i just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart really the uh, the teachers talk radio uh, listeners have been charmed by you the, the, this morning it's been really great to hear you talk about so enthusiastically about your journey in education and uh, the the uh, so I see trials and tribulations of of, of keeping the, uh, the the podcast uh, going. It's such you know you set yourself a very high bar, and it and it, and it continues to kind of um, you continue to put out such excellent uh, uh, material. Um, and now we're going to be treated in the middle of next year uh, with a follow up book as well. So when is the film coming out? That's what I want to know. Well, it's funny you should say that. No, no, no. Um, Take I've that for another face, show. Uh, I've got a face for radio, Dorian. I think it's been said before. So I think we'll stick to just the uh, the audience. I mean, I do get, sorry, that's a sidetrack, aren't we now? But I do often meet people who are very disappointed um, because they may, they, they may have had a certain perception um, of the way that you look based on your voice when they see me and they think it's, it's like a young Ken Bruce. Uh, they think, no. Yeah. possibly not what they're expecting but you know but it does help me go under the radar Dorian let me go under the radar whenever I've been to conferences it's so good to just walk into a room and nobody knows so no, the film will be on pause for now I think perfect but it, the, you have one of those distinct voices that I think uh, that you know you might may not recognize you by face but as soon as they hear you chatting I think they'll be like that's that's old Phil Naylor that is over there. Uh, and listeners, that has been uh, Phil Naylor. I'd like to thank you again uh, so much for, for spending time with us this morning, coming on the show. Um, and yeah, we, perhaps we might even have you on again uh, after the launch of the book, if you'd be willing to do that, sir. I'd love to. And thank you, Dorian. Thank you for uh, the opportunity to speak to you. And a great show, by the way. Big fans here at Naylor's Natter. We're regular listeners. And uh, Merry ah. Christmas, everybody. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.